This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, welcome back. I am so happy to have you back. We're going through these cases. It feels like normal. How are you? How have you been? How was your birthday? I've had a crazy, I guess, week. My birthday was great. I actually was home and spent it with some of my best friends and my mom and my sister and the rest of the family. Um, My grandma had been in the hospital, but I think she's on the men's right now. Um, So I just got home like a day or so ago and just getting back to getting back to life. How are you? Thanks for hanging in there without me. No, of course. And I'm doing well. And I am very glad that your grandmother is doing better. You know, this has been a a rough year for grandmas on the show. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that she is, is doing better and is recovering and we miss you, but I'm definitely glad that you're back and it's, it's good to be here and get back in the normal swing of things. Uh, I am doing okay. It's been a, uh, it's been a busy life here. You know, obviously Christmas is coming up and stuff like that. And also, I don't know if I told you this or I was saving it to talk to you about it on the show, but Millie is very much now into Elf on the Shelf, which means that I am now a Pinterest bitch because (laughs) (laughs) I have to find different things for this elf to do every night. Uh, And hers is actually, it's an elf, but it's the Grinch. It's not like the normal Elf on the Shelf. So if you're listening with your kids, it's a good time to like stop, you know, because I don't want to ruin Christmas magic for anybody, but it's been a uh, it's been a, a real challenge. Um, I made a snowman out of toilet paper rolls, which was really interesting. Like mm-hmm. as a grown man at one in the morning, like cutting out a carrot nose and taping it to toilet paper. And then uh, <laughs> last night we had friends over we were playing games and she woke up in the middle of the night and just got sick. She threw up all over. And so I was like, oh, I still got to do this. 
damn Grinch. So I, and I'm talking a little quiet because she's laying down for a nap right now. So I want to make sure I'm not being too loud and ruining the magic. But uh, I had to, uh, I went to the gas station and got her a Gatorade and I got her a ginger ale and the Grinch made her a little card and it said, I know they think I'm a mean old Grinch, but I promise if I could, I'd take away your tummy ache and leave you feeling good. Here's a trick that works when I'm sick. I swear it never fails. Have a sip of Gatorade. Try a sip of ginger ale. Love the Grinch. Oh, that's so, cute. <laughs> so it's a challenge because I'm trying to find new stuff every night, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Now I'm going to send you ideas. I do just it. don't get the, I, like they make a mess. Like if I had to do this, my little elf would not make a mess. Like these people who make these messes and tear up stuff and you have to clean that up. The kid doesn't, do they? I don't know. No, because the kids aren't supposed to actually be able to touch them. That's the whole thing. Right. But I lived away for most of our elf on the shelf um, experiences with my nephew. So I knew about it. I heard about it. I saw all about it. But Well, Kara is totally against it because like the traditional way you do it is like the elf watches whether or not you're bad or good and then reports to Santa. Right. Which is this weird like kind of you're being watched and you have to be good because you're being watched. And that's not what we want to. You know, psychologically, it's not well for your children, even though we all grow up that way. Right. So with ours, ours is more he just gets into mischief at night. It's not about him watching you or reporting anything. It's just you fall asleep and he does these silly things. So like one night I drew a little pond and then I got some twine and I tied a ornament hook to the other end, like fishing line. And then I put goldfish and Swedish fish and he was fishy, caught a Swedish fish on the fishing line. So it's just silly stuff like that. You're really getting into this. You know, it's help because I'm that person that's normally not in the Christmas spirit until like the week of Christmas and doing this. I'm like, oh, like, OK, yeah, like I've decked the halls. I feel good. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I'm glad we can both come out of our Ebenezer Scrooge ways. I got a Christmas tree this year. I already have three wrapped presents. Now, granted, one of them's for the cats, but those are the only presents going under the tree, but I'm already done with my Christmas shopping. I'm usually like the week before Christmas trying to make sure everything gets delivered on time. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, it's having a kid has definitely changed me a lot, you know? And I think this year, like last year it was like this, but as she gets older, she gets more aware of like the holiday and she gets more excited. So it's fun yeah. for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, she's amped. So I get to be amped and you know, she's getting into video games. So I bought us a PlayStation four for Christmas. Oh, so, did you? <laughs> yeah. So we could play like Spider-Man and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm, I'm really excited. I know this is not what this show is about. We've been talking for like six minutes about Christmas, but it's just that time of the year. You know what I mean? Just get all warm and fuzzy inside and your heart grows three sizes bigger. I know. I hate it. I just want to <laughs> just let me get back to my Scroogey kind of ways. But all that being said, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you had a great birthday. 37 never looks so good on you. Hey. <laughs> no, I know you're only 34. I'm just being 34, everyone. Just being 34. facetious. Still not in my mid 30s yet. Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, though, just from personal experience, 34 didn't really bother me. 35 was okay. It was 36 when I woke up and I was like, Yeah, because now you're going, you're closer to 40 than you are 30. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see it. You have that to look forward to. I'm Great. excited to talk about that birthday when it gets here. <laughs> so. <laughs> Can't wait for you to turn 40. Well, by that time, I'll be 41. So that'll be great. So, but anyway, you have a jam packed episode. You not only are coming back from a little time off, but coming back with a heavy hitter, super excited to get into it. Should we quit with a Gabby Gabby, get with a stabby stabby and just 
go ahead and get into this week's case? Yeah, I think we should. Awesome. Well, let's do it. For this week's case, we're diving into the Atlantic Ocean to Bermuda. Now, for a little geography lesson, Bermuda is a self-governing British territory that's located in the Atlantic Ocean, and it's about 650 miles east of North Carolina. Have you been to Bermuda, John? I have not. I do want to go to Bermuda, Bahamas, come on, pretty mamas, all those places. Yeah, but I've never been. Montego, Montego, baby, Baby, why don't we go? Down to Coca, Yeah, no, I've never been. I've been to Florida and Mexico. That's about as uh, tropical as I've been so far. I would like to visit Bermuda, but I feel like it gets hit by the hurricanes a lot. And then you also have like the Bermuda Triangle, which I think is Bermuda, uh, the Bahamas, maybe Puerto Rico that makes the triangle. I'm not sure where the planes and boats go missing. I don't want to be on the plane that goes missing. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I don't know much about Bermuda, but I know there's that weird triangle. And then there's, you know, the Beach Boy song about it. But yeah, no, I've never been. But um, when you sent me over your notes, I was doing a little research on it. It looks beautiful. It looks like it'd be a great place to go. Mm-hmm. Well, in the summer of 1996, Rebecca Becky Middleton was set to have the summer of a lifetime. She had planned to spend six weeks in Bermuda with her best friend. Now, Becky Middleton was born on June 27th, 1979. She was the youngest of three kids to parents Cindy and Dave. Becky grew up in the small town of Belleville in Canada. Now, Belleville was a shore town located on Lake Ontario. Cindy and Dave would divorce when Becky was 13, and all three of the children went to live with Cindy, but spent time with their father as well. Now, in June 1996, Becky was off to holiday, or vacation as we call it, to Bermuda. On June 19th, she met her friend Jasmine Means in Bermuda. Jasmine's father, Rick Means, was also a Belleville Canadian native. He was remarried and had just moved to the island. Rick had lived in the Flats Village, and the girls were staying together at Jasmine's father's house. They were having the time of their life, and on July 2, 1996, the girls were just two weeks into their six-week-long trip. Becky and Jasmine had planned a night out with some of their friends. The evening started in St. George at the White Horse Pub. They had dinner and drinks with their new romantic interests, Russell and Jonathan. The four walked to Jonathan's house and met other friends there. The teens spent the night drinking and laughing. Jasmine lost track of time and realized it was almost 2 in the morning. She was supposed to check in with her father, Rick, around 11 p.m. Now keep in mind, this is still 1996 and there were no cell phones, John. Yeah, I was thinking about that as you were going through because I remember being a teenager, you know, even... In the early 2000s, when I was in high school, like there weren't cell phones, you know what I mean? So if like you didn't call and check in, you got chewed out, especially if you were out that far past. Like if you were supposed to check in or be home by 11, it's two in the morning and nobody's heard from you. Like first, everybody made sure you're okay, And then you got chewed out hard. So I can imagine like, you know, being that age, you're probably like, oh, no, I'm super panicked. What am I going to do? Right. So now Jasmine was frantic to get home before she got in trouble. She didn't want to call her dad for those very reasons. So Jasmine stepped out to call a cab around 2.30 in the morning, but no cab showed up. Jasmine called the cab dispatch again. They stated that the car drove by but did not see the girls. So she ordered another cab and Jasmine and Becky waited outside. Shortly after, Dean Lottimore rode by on his motorcycle. He stopped to speak with the girls and asked if he could help call a cab for them. The girls told him that one was coming. At that time, another motorcycle sped by coming from the opposite direction. There were two men on that motorcycle, and Dean was not familiar with them. He noticed they started talking flirtatiously with Becky, and the men insisted that they take the girls home. 
Jasmine was hesitant because she and Becky did not have helmets, but the men had extras. Now, Becky was slightly smaller than Jasmine, so she rode in between the two men, and Jasmine rode with Dean. She was afraid of the motorcycle and asked Dean to drive slower than the others. Now, because of this, Dean and Jasmine eventually lost sight of Becky and the other motorcycle. Dean took a shortcut trying to make up the time to catch up with the others at Jasmine's house. But when Dean and Jasmine arrived to her home, there was no sign of Becky. She ran inside searching for her friend, but she was not there. Jasmine had no choice but to wake up her dad, Rick. She told him that she had lost Becky. Jasmine shared that she last saw her near the bridge on Ferry Road. So Rick and Jasmine quickly got into the car and searched for Becky. As they were driving around, an ambulance sped past them. Jasmine had a gut feeling that it was headed towards her missing friend. However, Rick and Jasmine returned home, still to find no signs of the teen. Rick called the police and attempted to file a missing persons report on Becky. Meanwhile, a local nightclub DJ named Dana Rollins and his friend were headed home when they noticed a person lying in the fetal position in the middle of Ferry Road. Dana approached cautiously, not knowing what he drove up on, and he was shocked to see it was a young woman who was still alive. Dana had his friend rush to a phone booth to call 911. He noticed how bloody the young woman was. Her throat had been cut and she was trying to speak. She was mouthing incomprehensible words to Dana. Rollins applied pressure to her neck where it appeared to have been slit. He sat with the woman, encouraging her to hang in there. At one point, the young woman began to cry. He continued to tell her help was on the way and he promised to stay with her. Now time had passed waiting for the ambulance and Dana noticed the woman turning cold. She was pulseless. The ambulance arrived, but it was too late. Now the police initially refused to file a missing persons report since it had only been a few hours since Becky was last seen and the reports could only be filed after 24 hours. But while Rick was on the phone with the police, he was put on hold. And when the officer returned to the phone, he told Rick he should meet detectives at Ferry Beach. What Rick and Jasmine experienced next is something no one should ever have to go through. The road was roped off with caution tape. Crime scene investigators took photos and police were scattered everywhere. Jasmine waited in the car while her father met with detectives on the scene. It was then that the investigators asked Rick to identify the victim. They unzipped the body bag, and Rick was shocked when he saw the lifeless and bloodied 16-year-old Becky Middleton. Distraught, he tried to hug Becky in the body bag. He was punching the police vans and screaming. Jasmine could only hear her father, and she knew something bad had happened. Rebecca Middleton was the young woman that Dana Rollins attempted to help. The investigation started immediately, and a hysterical Jasmine sat down with her father as police began their questioning. This is when Rick Means first hear of the men on the motorcycle. Jasmine told detectives that Becky got on the bike with two young black males. She rode with Dean Lottimore, who was not familiar with the men at the time. Because of the story, detectives also called Dean in for questioning. They also started bringing in known local criminals. The police arranged a suspect lineup for Dean. But unlike here in the States, there is no one-way glass to protect the witness. In the room were Dean, two detectives, and several known criminals, and they were all standing face to face. But Dean told police he did not recognize An any of the An autopsy was started and crime scene evidence was being collected and tested. And on July 9, 1996, detectives got a break in the case. Dean Lottimore sat down with police and told them he recognized one of the men from the lineup, but that he didn't say anything. He told police that he'd received several death threats and could not sleep on the information he had. Dean shared with police that he lied because he feared for his life and his family's, that he had to live amongst these animals. 
Dean identified the two young males as 21-year-old Kirk Mundy, a Jamaican citizen, and 19-year-old Justice Smith of Bermuda. And the following day, on July 10, 1996, both Mundy and Smith were arrested. DNA samples were collected from both men, and detectives questioned the suspects separately. At this time, Mundy was out on bail for armed robbery. He told detectives that he was home with his pregnant girlfriend, Keisha Smith. He claimed to have had nothing to do with the murder of Becky Middleton. Now, Mundy was mostly a troublemaker and had a significant arrest sheet. Justice Smith grew up with a decent family but got caught up in trouble, and he eventually dropped out of school. Now, Smith told detectives that he and Mundy were at a nightclub the night Becky was murdered, but both men told detectives that Dean Lottimore lied about seeing them with the girls. However, detectives were starting to build their case against the two men. Mundy was able to meet with a lawyer who told him that if DNA results return in his name, that his story would not stand in court. And with that information, Mundy changed his story. He told detectives that he did stop and talk with the girls, but he claimed that Becky was coming on to him. And according to Mundy, they drove away and the pair stopped to have consensual sex. Mundy said he walked away to wash his hands, and when he returned, he saw Justice Smith raping and stabbing Becky. He also told police where they could find the murder weapon. Mundy claimed that Smith threw a serrated knife over the St. George swing bridge. Now, because of this confession, detectives quickly made a deal with Kirk Mundy. And two days after their arrest on July 12th, Mundy was charged as an accomplice. He would be required to testify against Justice Smith in court. Mundy pled guilty. And in October of 1996, he was sentenced to five years in prison. Okay, so this is really interesting because... What strikes me here is that he had the conversation with the attorney and the seems like the attorney was like, Hey, if you say you didn't do anything, but the DNA comes back and it matches, you're basically screwed. And I find it very convenient that his story just happens to change then. So I'm Mm -hmm. interested to see how this plays out. If it's maybe he's trying to pin everything on justice, or maybe he is being truthful and it's just like, I don't want to lie about this anymore, but it's a very convenient time to change your tune. It definitely feels like you're just trying to cover for yourself. A hundred percent. But let's keep going so I don't give away anything. Okay, let's do it. Now, justice would be charged with premeditated murder, and detectives knew they needed to get a conviction. Now, when Mundy pled guilty, DNA results from the two men were not back from the DNA found from Becky Middleton. But forensic evidence and autopsy results were starting to come to light. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The autopsy was started and quickly completed on the day of the murder. Bermuda authorities needed answers quickly and used a local pathologist. Now, this pathologist told police that this was out of his usual scope, and he requested they bring in a pathologist with experience in forensic autopsies, but the request was denied. However, the results concluded that Becky Middleton was raped, tortured, and stabbed. She had suffered 16 stab wounds, five of which punctured vital organs. Becky was cut at the jugular vein in the neck. 
She had superficial cuts to her head and poke marks from the tip of the knife. DNA and crime scene evidence were starting to appear that they were poorly collected. During the time of the crime, there were several trainees on the scene, and the evidence was not collected in an organized manner. In fact, some items were left behind or stepped on. But police were able to obtain the murder weapon that was found near the bridge. In days after Mundy's plea deal, DNA results returned that compared Mundy and Smith's DNA to the samples found on Middleton. Now, detectives were shocked when the DNA returned, and it returned to Kirk Mundy and not Justice Smith. Bermuda police tried to change the charge against Mundy, but it was too late. Because of double jeopardy, they were unable to charge him with murder. Detectives now needed to build a case against Justice Smith in order to get a conviction. Now, since the arrest, two other witnesses had come forward with information about Mundy and Smith. A friend of the pair told police that they saw both men near the crime scene. This friend was reportedly broke down on the side of the road when Mundy and Smith pulled up. And the witness said he noticed blood on Mundy's shirt sleeve. Another witness was working at a nearby refinery. He said he was taking a break outside around 3.20 a.m. when he saw two men on a bike. He noticed something unusual like a white cloth covering where the license plate should be. Police searched the home of Justice Smith and were able to identify a missing knife of the same brand from the block in his kitchen. Now, on November 23, 1998, the trial of Justice Smith would start, and the prosecution felt they had strong evidence to obtain a guilty verdict. An American expert forensic pathologist testified in court. They reviewed the autopsy results and the cause of death. According to the expert pathologist, serration on knives are like fingerprints. In this case, the serration on the knife matched the superficial cuts and poke marks found on Becky's head. That meant that these wounds were caused by someone dragging the serrated knife across her head. And additionally, these serrations matched the knife missing from Smith's home and the one found at the bridge. Now, the original autopsy report was not thorough. Becky's body had been washed before the exam was completed. There were no fingernail scrapings collected from Becky and the pathologist described the wounds, suggesting that more than one person had to be involved. After this intensive review, the pathologist testified that Becky Middleton was raped. She had crawled a few feet away, and that's when they believed the torture began with the knife. The blade was scraped across her face, suggesting that her hands were being held behind her back while she was being cut by someone else. Becky did not have any defensive wounds on her hands, again suggesting another person's involvement. This also meant that she was seated at the time her neck was cut at the jugular vein. This likely caused a collapsed lung and eventually led to Becky bleeding out. The pathologist summarized that Becky would have been too weak to get to the middle of the road on her own. She had grab marks at both upper arms and smear marks at the ankles. This proved that Becky Middleton was carried to the road where she later died. The prosecution continued with Dean Lattimore testifying along with the other witnesses from the bridge and the refinery. Now, the defense placed the blame on Mundy because of the DNA results. Smith's team claimed he did not murder Becky Middleton, but that Kirk Mundy raped and murdered her himself. There were no testimonies from the defense. They simply asked the judge for the case to be dismissed. As the trial came to a close, the prosecution was shocked when the trial never made it to the jury. The judge threw out the case claiming lack of evidence at the crime scene, placing Justice Smith there. This shocked everyone from the courtroom, all of Bermuda, and even in Canada. Justice Smith walked out of the courtroom a free man. The prosecution would file appeals for the next 14 months. However, they had no luck. But in 2007, Sherry Booth, who was the wife of Tony Blair, got involved on the case. 
She tried to have both Mundy and Smith retried and charged with rape and torture. However, due to the law of double jeopardy, neither could be retried. The public pled for justice for Becky Middleton and her family. Locals were concerned for their own safety with Smith walking freely. Now, two years after his trial, Justice Smith was arrested and sentenced to one year for stabbing a woman outside a local bar. And in 2010, the law in Bermuda had relaxed regarding double jeopardy. And if new and compelling evidence was found in a case, it could be brought to trial again. But sadly, it would not apply retroactively. In 2012, Kirk Mundy was still in prison for the charges of armed robbery he had committed prior to Middleton's murder. Now, as of today, this case is still listed as unsolved, and it seems to be from failure of the local justice system in Bermuda. As for Dana Rollins, the man who found Becky, he is still haunted by this tragic loss daily. He has since had a daughter and named her Rebecca. Dean still suffers with what happened that night, and Jasmine Means still feels the pain and guilt. She says she has dark moments and severe depression. And as for her father, Rick Means, he is terribly sorry to the Middletons and Becky for not protecting her on this life-ending holiday. So this one's a little different than usual, John. What did you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so a couple of different things. First, I am kind of shocked that you went out of the country for this. And the reason I say that is we have a short on time coming up this week where I actually go international as well. So it always kind of shocks me when we do these things and it just so happens we're on the same wavelength, even though we haven't talked about it at all. So I'm excited that we're going international for the week. But that being said, this is our very first like technically unsolved Monday full case, right? So it's heartbreaking because again, while Monday did, you know, plead guilty to an accomplice and he did get the five years, Justice Smith walked away and, you know, Again, uh, this you know I feel like I have to say allegedly because you know he was found not guilty. There was a mistrial, but to me it seems pretty clear that he's the the one who did this, right? Allegedly, you know, again speculation, right? Speaking from my point of view, but it's just so heartbreaking, you know, to think about these two girls that are going on their vacation. It's you know when you're a kid and you do vacations like this is almost like a rite of passage, right? It's like you're dipping your toe into adulthood for the first time. It's like your spring break or your, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's this chance to like kind of spread your wings and get this first little taste of freedom. And I'm sure that they were so excited going into it. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking to think that Becky never came home, you know, and then to think about her parents and her family and then the guilt that, you know, Rick must feel and, that Jasmine must have felt for letting her ride off with these guys, you know, not even, it's not even like a letting her, but it's a survivor's guilt thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, right. Oh, if I would have done something different, but especially being a, a, a dad and thinking about when my kid gets older and wanting to go out and, and do things on her own, you know, it's, it's just heartbreaking to think of these families and the impact and you know, how the actions of these two people really, it is, is like throwing a pebble in a lake, you know what I mean? And just watching those ripples. It's just, it's heartbreaking and devastating. And, and I don't know this one, it really like, it broke my heart a little bit. Cause I just, i just feel so bad for her and her family. And it, it was hard. Yeah. This one was tough. I also was shocked to find out that it actually became and remained unsolved. Um, in my personal opinion and my speculation, I think both of these men were involved in the murder. Um, 
I think there's enough evidence to point at both of them. And due to the double jeopardy, they're unable to be charged as such. Um, I did read that um, Mundy was actually, once he got out of jail from the armed robbery, um, he was extradited to Jamaica. So he had to leave Bermuda after he was out of prison. Probably on some other charges there and some things that he had done. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's sad because when you look at the evidence, like you said, it seems like it paints a very clear picture as to who did this, but then technicality. Right. And like, and I understand like, especially here in America, like we need things in place, right? Like we need like a, a certain expectation of evidence and, things of that nature to prevent innocent people from being found guilty. And, you know, we know it still happens, but, you know, because of that, I think, you know, where it gets a little tricky is like those technicalities can work in the opposite direction. And then you have things like this happening where it is somebody who seems very guilty gets off on a technicality, you know? And so I don't know, it's heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Just to, you had four weeks left of your trip and you're probably having the time of your life and, you know, I feel like when you're that age too, like you're just naturally open to maybe being a little riskier, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to live forever. You know, I'll, yeah, sure. I'll hop on a motorcycle with these two dudes. You know what I mean? Like you just, I don't think your mortality sets in. And so, no, you know, all. you're you're not thinking about those decisions, but yeah, it's just, it just, it really does feel like a failure. It feels like a failure for Becky, her family, her friends, and, and, you know, the people who found her and tried to save her life. You know, it's, it's, like I said, it's just sad. Yeah, and I think what um, is a little interesting is how much, how many different countries were involved. So Bermuda is a territory of the British. And so that parliament, I guess, is who was controlling the trial. But yet they also let it fall under the local ruling in Bermuda. But then yet she was Canadian and the family she was living with were Canadian. They just happened to be you know, he relocated there. So then you have Canada involved. And so when they were sending out DNA testing and stuff, they were sending it off to Canada. So you just had different, different levels of jurisdiction from different countries, which I think kind of murkied the water. I think had, you know, it got escalated beyond Bermuda. I think maybe something could have changed and there could have been some sort of justice or an exception to the double jeopardy rule could have swayed a judge one way or the other to let it go to trial and to get an actual guilty conviction for murder. But in my eyes, I think that this case is solved legally and on paper. It is not. But in my eyes, I do believe that both Mundy and Smith were involved in her murder. No, I totally agree with you. I think this is a case where it's just a, uh, a grave miscarriage of justice where one person got a slap on the wrist and the other person walked away, you know? And when you think about how this young lady was tortured and, Right. And just left in the road to die. You know, it's like, it's just heartbreaking, you know? So I know like if we're talking deadbolt test, this is hard, right? Because I'm not checking my locks super hard tonight, but what I am going to do is, is stand in my kid's door and just look at her tonight. Probably I'll probably stand there for like six, seven minutes, just look at her and just worry about all the things that can happen when she's older. You know what I mean? It's and like, that is the one thing that from doing this podcast where I'm just like, Oh, like I, you don't have enough anxiety as a parent as it is. And it's like, let me just research a bunch of terrible stuff that happens to teenagers. So I have that. No, to he's like, never going to be able to do anything. No, she'll still be able to do Kara anything. will be the rhyme of reason there. Yeah. I mean, in my head, I, I kind of like, I'm like, well, let's talk about like statistics and how likely is it off, you know, or, 
is it going to happen? And you know, what are the actual chances or the odds or whatever, but you know, it's just this thing. It's just this anxiety. So it's, I don't know. I think also we have this, even if they're not your kids, right. If it's like your nieces or your nephews, you have this like natural inclination to just want to be very protective of the vulnerable around you, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, am I going to check my locks tonight? No, but is this, again, is this one of those ones that in 10 years when she's 15, it's going to pop into my head. Yeah. So for that, I'm going to put this in eight. It's going to be an eight for me for sure, because I, I just can't stop thinking about what Becky's family in Canada, what they went through and how they felt and just, you know, what they most likely had to do to, to get through this tragedy and to deal with the grief. It's just, it's scary. But what about you? Where are you putting it? Yeah, I'm going to put it up there like an eight or a nine. I'm going to go with a nine, nine. You know, I'm always so indecisive when it comes to checking my locks, but I, say this one, not that I was ever the teenager that got to spend six weeks in Bermuda, but as a single gal, again, who goes and travels and goes to places sometimes alone, this one scares me. You never know who you're meeting. And I am a pretty trusting person, I would say. Um, But, you know, it was just one poor mistake. And all she wanted to do, Jasmine didn't want to call and wake up her dad. She knew he would be mad because they were drinking. But at the end of the day, you know, our parents always say, call me if something happens. And I've been in that situation where I've called my parents because something happened and I got in trouble. You know, they came and got me. They yelled at me. I was punished. That was the end of it. But I was safe and sound. Um, And so I think we as young adults, teenagers kind of have this mindset that like nothing's going to happen to us. But that can happen to anybody. You know, I mean, that goes to Natalie Holloway in 2005. There's just a lot of things that are unsettling in this case. And then trusting the court system to find justice for her family. Yeah. And you know, nine, nine, nine makes sense to me too. And it's just like, you know, I was thinking about it as we went through, like these girls were with a group of friends. Right. And then somehow they're outside by themselves where I think it's adults. Right. Especially if we're in an area that we didn't know. Like if I'm going to sit out there with with you, you. right. Like I'm going to sit out there, like make sure that I'm going to make sure you open your door, get in the house. Like I don't drive off till you're in your house. Like I hate when friends drive off and I'm not in my house because I don't do that. Yeah. It's just the, again, just kids not having the forethought to be like, oh, something could be wrong here, but you know, you're just drinking and having a good time. And you know, so you don't think about it, you know, and I don't know. It's heartbreaking across the board. So. I think at eight, nine, I think we're in alignment, but as always, we have to throw it out to the locksmith. That's where we are falling on this week's case. Again, Olivia's at a nine. I'm at an eight, but we want to know where does the murder of Becky Middleton fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know, reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod. You can find us on Twitter, at check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to spend some time with you. I know we talked about it. Well, I talked about it on Wednesday, but did you see? That adorable baby that was posted in our Facebook group. Yes. So stinking cute. So cute. We have a baby locksmith and it just melted my heart. It made my whole day. So again, Ashley, we hope you're doing well. Hope the baby is doing well and that you're uh, recovering okay. And that, you know, you guys are just loving on each other. But come hang out with us in the Facebook group. There's just so many great people. We'd love to have you as part of that community. And Olivia, this case... Again, super sad. Got me all in my dad feels. Normally, we would read a review, but we're out of them. And so we need more. 
And again, I was so out of my element when you weren't here last week, when I had to do this, so I have to defer it to you. If somebody wants to leave us a five-star review, have it read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Well, this is so sad that we don't have any reviews. And I kind of talked to you like, is this an end of an era? This, are we closing out 2023 without reviews? Is this done in our in our world of podcasting? But I don't think it should be. I think the locksmiths need to go to Apple Podcast app. They need to scroll down on our show's homepage, click all five stars, leave us a little bit of love so that we can still send y'all some swag. We have so much stuff that we need to send out. I know we got a bunch of stuff. We love sending it, but most importantly, we love hearing from the listeners, right? We talk about it every week. These reviews, they really help us out because they get us another show's recommendations. They help new people find the show. And also, if you know, somebody's looking for a new podcast, you know, the first thing they may look at is the reviews. What are other people saying? Right. And so by leaving that review on Apple Podcasts, it really does help us to grow the audience, bring more people into the community. So if you have left us a review, just know we appreciate that you know more than we could ever tell you. If you haven't, do what Olivia said. Head over to Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the episode that you're listening to now. Make it super easy. All that aside, most importantly, we love hearing from you, right? We love hearing what you think about the show. We love you know what you like, cases that maybe stuck out to you. And Olivia, listen. I know that you really love hearing people's voices. So I saved this as a surprise. We may not have a review this week, but we have a voicemail. We do have a voicemail. Should we listen to you're, it? Yeah, you're a little stinker. I'm a little sneaky snake. Had no, a I didn't tell you. Sneaky snake. All right. Well, let's get into this voicemail. Hey, Olivia. Hey, John. My name is Megan. I'm from Kansas. Um, I'm actually on one of my breaks at work right now, but I thought I'd leave you a voicemail. I know how much you love them and crave them. Um, I did just start listening to your podcast this week. I'm working 12s, uh, 12-hour shifts through the holiday season, and this has really been helping me get through it. I've been binge listening. Um, So I'm not up to date yet, but you guys have a lot of content out there, and I thank you for that, and I love the fact that you all make it a point each week to get your content out, Um, knowing how much your listeners love your show, enjoy listening. It's really great to see that you are, you know, keeping yourselves accountable on that because I have so many other crime podcasts where sometimes I have to wait two to three weeks for a new episode to come out, and sometimes they're two-parters, and it does get a little irritating as a listener when you're not consistent with your episodes. So thank you all so much for everything you do. Um, I love your guys' rapport. Um, it's a really easy listen, and I love that you guys don't get too far into gory details, um, just what's factual and necessary for the story, because there are a lot of creepos out there that probably enjoy the more in-depth podcasts where they list every little thing that they did and we don't need any more of that spreading around we got enough crazies in the world so happy holidays to you guys and have a good week that was so great thanks megan i just made my week it really did it really really did no definitely agree and megan thank you for listening to the show and so happy that you found it and i will tell you as somebody who has worked 10 hour shifts for like the past three or four years, I, I'm finally off that for the first time in, in like three or four years. Working those 10-hour shifts, 
those long shifts, right? We need something that helps us get through the day. And it makes me so happy that we get to be that for you. So just thank you so much for listening and and thank you. You know, we talk about all the time, but we really do try our best to never miss episodes if we don't have to. So really happy to know that you appreciate that. And most importantly, we're just happy to have you as part of the family. Olivia, I definitely think we should send Megan some stuff. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I got so many new goodies to send. And I got my new little packages to send them in. I haven't sent one out in our new little packaging. I know. I don't even think we've talked about that yet. So for our listeners, right, uh, when we first started sending stuff out, they were just blank envelopes that said check the locks on them and they could be maybe intimidating. So we actually have like professional, really cool uh, like merch packs that we can send out now. It's got the like cartoon and it's really, really cool. So Megan, we would love to send you some stuff. Thank you for leaving that voicemail for making our day and, and really just, again, helping getting us in the holiday spirit. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod or find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. I think you may be in our Facebook group. So if you are, you can go ahead and send us a DM there. We would love to get it out to you. If you're not a social person, that's totally fine. Checkthelockspod.com. Send us an email. Let us know where to get this out to you. But again, thank you so much. And please leave us those voicemails. Leave those reviews because we want to make sure that we are getting out as many cool little gifts to people as we can. And as always, if you would like to financially support the show, you can do so by becoming a patron. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the loss. Get signed up today. We got a lot of great tiers, exclusive benefits like stickers, T-shirts, coffee mugs, all designs you can only get for being a patron. Plus, you get the episodes a little early ad free. So if you love check the locks, you hate commercials. Patreon is the best way to do that. Plus, we've started doing meetups which the last one that we did was so much fun. I think we talked for like two hours, maybe a little bit over before everybody left. But I mean, we talked about every parenting, like movies are just, it was just so nice to hang out with everybody and, and get to know people a little bit better. And Olivia, I know how I, I had a blast. What did you think? I had a great time. I dipped out a few times, but I had a life crisis happening. Um, but I love meeting with our listeners just because you get to know them on a personal level. You know, we talked everything, like you said, parenting, life, what everybody does, where everybody lives, you know, what they like about Check the Locks, you know, taking advice back from our listeners. You know, we like to make and cater to their needs and wants. So I enjoy those. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's a great way to get to know people. And my hope is eventually, you know, we keep on this trajectory. Hopefully in the near future, we might even be able to do some like in-person meetups, which would be very cool. But for right now, if you want to hang out with us, you know, come do these Zooms and not just, you know, hang out with us, but hang out with the other people on the Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the loss, get signed up today. And if you can't financially support the show, listen, we definitely understand Just listening, sharing what we do with your friends and family, the people who are important to you, means more to us than we could ever tell you, right? Again, it's all about growing our community, getting in front of as many people as we can. And when you send a link to your favorite episode, when you tell people to check out the show, you help us to do that. So if that is you, you're hanging out with us, you're letting people know about what we do, just know it means the world to us. We appreciate you so much. That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to check the locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye.
leave those reviews and voicemails. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.